Welcome to the Develop in the Dark podcast, brought to you by New Spring Church. We'll prepare you with biblical truths to help you meet the demands of your reality. Today, friends, we're going to be talking about the unique thumbprint of Christianity. How is our faith different? Brad and I are going to be exploring the Trinity. We're going to be exploring the person and the work of Jesus. We're going to look at some of the common misunderstandings about Jesus and who he is. We hope that you're going to enjoy this podcast. If you are enjoying it, we'd love for you to write a review. We'd love for you to share with a friend. We can't wait to jump into this episode with you. Hey, friends, welcome to Develop in the Dark. We're here again, Brad. Trev, it's been a blast doing this. I'm excited. I've got my cup of coffee ready. Yep. And uh, I think we're going to have some really good convo today. If, if you could sum up for us just in two sentences, two or three sentences, the purpose of what we're doing. Yeah, we're trying here to grow in wisdom, stature, and favor. And one of the questions we got to be asking is, who are we becoming? And we look at Jesus, who asked questions, and he sat with a humble posture, and he modeled for us how to do that. That's beautiful. And so today, as we take our step into the space of development, we're going to do the same. That's we're going to awesome. sit and ask some questions. Well, there's a, a pretty well-known clip that's going around right now where a person's asked, do you believe in Jesus? And they say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. The person follows up and says, well, do you believe in the Bible? Well, I believe in Jesus. I just don't believe in the Bible. And it, it got me thinking about this idea of the unique thumbprint of Christianity? Like, what is the thing that sets us apart, sets Christianity apart from every other world system, worldview, religion that's out there, and it is the person and work of Jesus Christ? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just to be clear, Jesus is the entry point for all of us into Christianity, and I think it's an incredible thing that people might have our issue with religion, might have an issue with organized religion, might even have some... Uh, some blowback from things that they've experienced in their backstory. Even angstiness about the Bible itself. Right. But they see Jesus, they experience Jesus, they read about Jesus. But where do they read about Jesus? In the Bible. That's exactly right. right. And so it is his self-revelation. And so we, we've got to start there. And I do think that Christ is our starting point. And if you're out there and you've got questions, welcome. Mm. Welcome. Ask the question, who is Jesus? We've already talk, talked about this a bit in previous podcasts that you're going to be found coming to conclusion that if you look at the words of Christ and what he said and what he did from the Bible, from the four Gospels, and from extra-biblical content, historical mm. content, people that wrote about the reality that he was here, you're going to have to come to a conclusion that the Jesus of the Bible was either a liar, was a lunatic, or he is the Lord. That's right. It's known as the trilemma. Mm. And so we, we've got to come to that conclusion. We're yeah. going to continue to step through that door as we venture into this That's threshold exactly here now. Right. If Jesus is who he says he is, then we have to get him. We have to get him. And everybody needs him. If he is who he says he is, if he's the son of God, then everybody's got to get him. There's a, a really uh, famous pastor named John Stott, who we both have leaned into for time to time. He, re he relays the story of a Sardu, who is kind of like an Indian holy man, who, and this particular Indian holy man, man named Sardu Singh converted to Christianity. And someone asked him, what have you found in Christianity that you've not found in your old religion? And he replied, I found Christ. And they said, no, 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 wait. I, what I mean is, what particular principle or doctrine did you find that you didn't have in your old faith. And he said, well, the particular doctrine I've found is Christ. 
So as you think about this idea of the unique thumbprint of Christianity, if you think about the idea that as we explore Christianity, we really are exploring Christ, we have got to get Christ. We have to understand his identity. And one of the places to start is with the Trinity itself. So we're going to kind of walk through today some of the ideas around the Trinity. It's such a beautiful doctrine, just thinking about it holistically. Charles Spurgeon said the, the, the highest thing we can do is think about the Godhead, right? Sure. The best thing that we can do is sit around and think about the Godhead. So there's a, a reality to this, which is this is pretty heady, and there's some mystery here, but it's worth diving into. Yes. I, I've found so many times that the Trinity is a doctrine that's left alone. It's kind of like your grandma's furniture that she covers in plastic. Did you really have a grandma that yeah, had plastic-covered so furniture? All the, all the lamps were covered in plastic. The couch was covered. And it's like, why do you want to cover your couch? And she's like, well, I want to keep it nice. But you never get to sit on the couch. You, you don't get to plastic. use it. That's and it's right. been made to use and leverage. And I think... To your point, I think a lot of times people are scared to talk about the Trinity because it is mysterious. That's right. It does have that. But I just want to, listeners that are out there, let's do this. Let's go for it because there are so many questions that I've had in my own life that have been answered as I ask questions about the Trinity, mm. the nature of God, the character of God, his unity and his diversity for one. Right. It's one of the beauties that you find in the Trinity, and it, it helps us begin to live our lives and navigate the practical everyday interrelationships that we have, but you only get there if you can really think about the Trinity. That's exactly right. And so many times it's been left alone because we've not really explained, as you're doing there, why it matters. Yeah. And we're hoping to give you a few of those things. Drilling down into this idea of unity and diversity, for example, you look into the world and you just, with your own eyes, look out into the world and see all the things that we that are available to us that we can see, whether it be this table a person, a tree, uh, emotions like love and fear and hate, and you look around and see microphones and you just see all the sun, the stars. How is it that you have all these diverse things, but there's a coherence, it fits all together, right? So just as an observer to the world, you have to answer the question, how is it that I can look into the world and see all this diversity, but somehow there's a unity in it. Well, it's because it's made... In the image from, of God. That's from a creator, <laughs> right? It's made from a creator who is at the essence a unity and a diversity. Beautiful. And uh, man, just to, you know, as we, as we lean into this today, it has so much to offer. Another example that you gave just with love and communication, I think about the idea that God existed way before us, way before the universe, and existed in perfect relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so when he creates humankind, he's not doing it out of necessity or need. Right. He's not doing it to complete himself. That's exactly right. So or to when fulfill you, when something. You, when, when, it's, when the Bible says that God loves us, it's not to complete him, a hole in his heart that he's trying to fill with us. No, he is complete. So the idea that God might want us now is open and wow. not just need us. And so as we dive into this, it's so key. It's a key doctrine. And then as we get in there, don't let any sort of lie come at you that you can't understand this. Yes, there's mystery in this. And there's a level at which we all kind of get to the end of our ability to, to kind of comprehend. 
but it is worth it. It's worth diving in. So as we think about the, the formula, like what is the traditional formula? It's God is one in essence and three in person. Yeah, one in essence, three in person. One of the things that I lean back on in the definition is a simple way of saying it is what St. Augustine said. He's too one to be many. And he's too many to be one. Mm. That kind of gets at the paradox and the mystery of the Trinity. That's beautiful. And so you've already mentioned the classic persons of Mm -hmm. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Mm. And so thinking about those three and one and those one in three. Right. Any great examples that you've thought about through the years or you've seen people give? I mean, I know I've a zillion ways that people yeah. have talked about the Trinity. Well, you know, all of these examples, they fall, they fall short, short of at some point yeah. because they are pointing in the wrong direction, right? You're mm. taking a material thing that's been created and trying to point it back to the thing that created it, rather than starting with Trinity. The essence. And then saying, well, because God is this way, then this water is like three states of water or whatever. So all the analogies tend to fall a bit short. The way that I like to think about it is the idea that you and I can get our head around what a contradiction is. And a contradiction is simply something that's unintelligible. For instance, a contradiction's not like a pink elephant, right? If I say pink elephant, you think of a pink elephant instantaneously, Yeah, right? I see the cartoon image. So those you don't see a pink elephant in our world, but a pink elephant is possible, right? On the other hand, what's not possible is a married bachelor, <laughs> right? Or I'm going to eat a sandwich yesterday, right? I am going to eat a sandwich yesterday. That's a contradiction. Yeah. So when I'm thinking about the difference between essence, what God's essence is and his persons, there's no contradiction in God. What's flowing out of God is that there's three in one. We're not saying one equals three or three equals one. One is in reference to his essence, who he is, what he is, I should say. And the three is in reference to his personhood, mm. who he is. So it's one what and three who's. Got it. And the and the what and the who is not a contradiction, right? And that's the way that I like to to think about it. That's perfect. I right. think everybody out there that's heard that it understands the Trinity with incredible clarity now. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't know no, that I understand it, no, it completely. It's beautiful. Now. That's what I'm saying. It's right. a it's a mystery in the scriptures, but you see it all through the scriptures from beginning to end. And so that's what we're going to chat about right. is that you see it flow just like you were talking yeah. about uh, from the Old Testament. All the way through right to the into new. The new. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm thinking about, as you say that, examples in the Old Testament right off the bat in Genesis 1, you have the Spirit of God hovering, you have the Father who is creating, but then when he opens his mouth and the Word of God comes out, there is your Trinity. Yeah, because in the beginning was the Word. Right. That's it. Ex- exactly right. And it's right there. And then you move on even in, into the fact that you create not just in that moment, but specifically creating humanity Mm. and creating the image and likeness. And I love the conversation that God is having with himself. Let us. Let us create man in our image, the plural Mm. there, just as another nod to the Trinity is there from the very beginning. And so thus, we need to understand, and one of the reasons 
that it matters how we have male and female and how we have oneness in marriage and unity in a marriage that two can become one and then bear children. Is It matters because it points to the Trinitarian God. That's right, the unity and diversity. There's a great example. That's right. For instance, if you think about the fact that you and your wife are made out of the same substance. Now, when you're thinking about God, you're probably not going to use the word substance because that's a created thing. God's not made out of created matter. So that's why you use the word essence. But by analogy, you and your wife are made out of the same stuff, the same substance, but you're different. You have uniqueness. You have different roles. You have a distinction within that. And so there's your perfect example, really, of how you can have a unity, which is in essence, and a diversity in personhood. So do we want to go ahead and apply that out and run that down sure. for a moment? Go for it. So, I mean, I just think that that's a beautiful reason why in the earth today, there would seem to be, and depending on the day or depending on the cultural moment or the winds of what's happening, there can be people that want to degradate or not highlight either femininity or masculinity. Right. And so one of the reasons that we want to make sure that we celebrate both feminine body, feminine nature Mm. and masculine body and masculine nature and not see those two things as if one if one wins, the other loses. Right. Or vice versa. Warring is because both of them point to the creative nature of the God who made them. And so as a Christ follower, one of the things I want to do is I want to be an advocate of biblical masculinity. Right. I want to be an advocate of biblical femininity. Beautiful. And I want to make room for that because both of those, I'm a dad of daughters and a son, and I want them both to be the fullness of who God's made them to be in his image because it is magnifying and mirroring and amplifying the created nature of the Trinity of the God who made them. Mm. I don't know, does that make sense? Absolutely. And so you can find the spaces to spend some attentiveness and attention in my application of this. And it's why Christians should care about Mm. what's going on in the earth when it comes to everybody wants to kind of pull to the middle. Right. And just kind of vanilla everything out. Vanilla everything out, and there always has to be a loser. Right. Like, why is that true? Why is it true that there always has to be a loser? And I think one of the things that's helped me in my Christian living and the application of this, and this is this doctrine running all the way down, is that I am not going to be for masculinity opposed and against femininity. Mm. I'm not going to do it. At the same time, I am not going to be for femininity and try to downsize or turn down the volume of masculinity. I want to lift up the kingdom, and the kingdom has a unity and a diversity, and it's seen in the creation of both male and female, and it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. You know, as you continue thinking about Old Testament, you know, references to, to Trinity, I'm thinking about the great I Am interaction that Moses had with God. In yeah, Exodus the burning three, bush. Right. And yeah. then you you take that, but then you, you move over into the New Testament and you see Jesus calling himself, I am. Yeah. Right? Whoa. And how amazing that connection is. You have all these I am statements in the New Testament. Jesus saying, I am light. I am shepherd. Yeah, the seven I, I am, am's from right, the book of John. All, right. All these right. I am statements, but they're lifts from the Old Testament where it's Yahweh is shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And then over in John 10, he's saying, I am the good shepherd. Right. Right. So all of these Old Testament names of Yahweh are getting applied to Jesus in the New Testament, and you're seeing the Trinity play out there, that Jesus is 
the Son of God. Yeah, and that's what he was saying. It's the same space in the Scripture. Moses and the people of God are getting fed by manna every morning. Well, then Jesus reaches back and he says, I am the bread of life that's exactly that came right. down from heaven. And so what is he saying? He is declaring that he is God, and he is declaring that all of these beautiful things that were thousands of years previous in the Old Covenant were actually being fulfilled in him mm, in the New Covenant. So beautiful. And it's a Trinitarian picture. Right. As you read the Old Testament, Keep your eyes open for the personification of the Word. In the New Testament, John 1, it says Jesus is the Word. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. But notice over and over in the Old Testament this personification of the Word. The Word came to Abraham and said... Right? Wow. Nobody talks like that today, yeah. right? When you're reading the newspaper or your, your app on your phone, you don't say the word came to me. It's this personification of the word. It's setting us up to understand who Jesus is, that he's going to come and be incarnate with us. Yeah, we're going to see him clearer now because we know this. Right. Man, this is some of the stuff that I love about the Bible. I know we just talked about the Bible in one of our previous podcasts, but there are so many beautiful cross-references and accents and amens that are mm-hmm. all over the Scripture. It's one of the reasons it's reliable and trustworthy. Well, you've got to think about our angle on everything Every podcast is going to be about the Bible. Yeah, that's <laughs> and, right. and I hope that's true about us from beginning to end. Yes, so, absolutely. Beautiful. One of the um, important scriptures about Jesus in Isaiah is that he is Messiah and he's referred to as mighty God. For unto us a child is born, to unto us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty, mighty God, God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Yeah, we, we sing it, Handel put it in his Messiah. We sing it every Christmas. We'll hear it every year. But if we thought about the fact that those words were written 600 years before Jesus Christ was incarnate. Unbelievable. And then here he is, and he is the Prince of Peace. Mm. He is the mighty God, and he's the everlasting Father mm. because it's one in essence, Right. though we have diversity as well. Yeah. Beautiful. You know, as you start thinking about these massive moments in the New Testament, you're going to see Trinity popping up. Tell me a couple of your favorites um, here. What, a couple of my favorites would be obviously the incarnation. So you have, uh, as Jesus is announced to Mary, the angel tells her that the Spirit of God will come upon her. Okay, so you got the Spirit of God. And the one that is born in you you'll, will be the Son of God. Wow. Right? So right there so in Matthew right 1, there, huh? Right there in Matthew 1, you've got it. The baptism of Jesus is probably the preeminent example, because you have Jesus standing in the water ready to get baptized. You have the Father speaking from heaven, and then you have what's like a dove coming down and resting on Jesus in that moment. Just side note, that one is my favorite, and I want to apply a redaction here. I said Matthew 1, it's Luke 1. Oh, gotcha. You, that's all right. I just couldn't. I couldn't live with myself if yeah. I had the wrong address yeah. in there. But yeah, Luke yeah. one, and then and then Matthew three is the my favorite. The I love the baptism, right? Because you see all three right there mm, beautiful, featured. Beautiful. Okay, how about uh, you? You've got a couple of other ones that we're going to talk about. The Great Commission. Yeah, the, the Great Commission is fascinating to me. You know, you you have the the message of the Great Commission, but just the language that's used in the singular name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Are we baptized? The singular name, but three persons. I baptize you in the name. Not names. Yep. Of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've even heard that on Sunday mornings or at a big baptism service, or even if you've watched something on TV, you've heard that. But think about it. Even in that little phrase, that mantra Mm. has the Trinity. You know, as you look at the the letters of Paul, he is... um, 
very quick to reference the Trinity. Usually in the in the New Testament, they will lift the word God as as Father. So you'll hear Paul saying things like, "We thank our Father." the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus or, or whatever. But you see him in one space referencing God, referencing Jesus, and then in some instances referencing the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I can think in the book of Ephesians he does it. And so uh, there's several of those moments where now if you just look with eyes in his letters, 13 of them in the New Testament, you will see Paul do this over and over again because the fathers of our faith, which Paul would be, they believed in the Trinity. And so they're going to bring them to light every time they're writing a letter to the church who is being, of course, formed into the image of that same Trinitarian right. church. Right. It's so so amazing. You know, why does this matter? Why does it, why are we talking about this? We've given a couple of an, uh, examples, but yeah. when you think about the idea that Jesus is coming in to give us the the picture, he is the image of the invisible God. John 1:18 it says, "No one's ever seen God, but God the one and only who is at the Father's side." has made him known. So in this picture, which is Jesus, we are seeing God. I heard a a guy say one time, when Jesus coughs, God coughs. That's a cool line. And I think that's just a great line. So uh, when you think about the Old Testament, a lot of times we have a picture of God as an angry God in the Old Testament. Then he comes as very nice in Jesus, and then after Pentecost, now we have the Holy Spirit, but that's a, a monolithic idea of God, yep. and that he's coming and manifesting himself one at a time, but that's not true. That's, no. That whole idea is called uh, Oneism. Mod- well, or modalism, yep. and we believe, the, the Bible, the consistent testimony of Scripture, is that there's one God in three persons from start to finish. Now, he's revealed progressively through the Bible. When we get more about this idea of Trinity in the New Testament, we see him more clearly, but he is there in the All Old the Testament. Yep. That's right. And there's not a contradiction in the character of God from the front to the back. Yeah, so a lot of mistakes that have been made in history and church history have been around these. You know, the word that people use is heresies. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes you can have accidental heresies like the one you just mentioned in modalism, where you Mm -hmm. emphasize there's one God is in one person in one section or space and time. And so we don't want to do that. We want to fight against that. We want to be aware of that. And you can even feel this in churches. You've got the whole denominational ilks that Mm. feature even one aspect of God over the other. Really growing up, you could see and you could feel, man, there are people that are about the father nature of God, the sovereign nature of God. And And as you think about that, the father nature... These churches are going to tend toward reverence and glory and awe. Yep. Right. Yep. The the Holy Spirit is going to be uh, a church that is toward presence and experience. Yep. Signs, wonders, right. encounter, and then you'll see churches. And I and I would say on record the church that I grew up in probably featured the gospels more. It was a very Jesus centric church. Obedience. Yeah. Obedience. Jesus, do what. Do what your would faith. What would Jesus do? Right. That that whole movement kind of came out of. That. Mm-hmm. So what we want to do is we want to try to have a well rounded understanding of even our own formation and catching the fact that they all matter because they're all God, Father, mm-hmm. Son, and Spirit, and we as a church body or as people rallying around the scriptures want to have all three of those aspects informing us as we live our lives. That's right. You don't hear people like us say things like I'm about to say very Uh often. Everybody leaning in? Right. So 
Is this, this a hot is, take, this, Trevor? This is, I don't know that this is a hot take. This is a historic take. Okay. If you don't go with the Trinity, <laughs> you know, a person can have, <laughs> a person can have, <laughs> a person qualify, can, I want to qualify before I say it. A person can have an ignorance of the Trinity, uh-huh. right? Yeah, because there are just... plenty of people who do not have an understanding of what the Trinity is, how that works, and they're just like, well, you know what? I know Jesus, and I don't understand the rest. And we would not say that person is not Christian, unchristian. No. I mean, that's everybody that ever got saved. Right. Exactly. You know, because Jesus is the threshold in the but door. But what I am saying, that if a church rejects the doctrine of Trinity, that's not a Christian church. Mm. That's a church to avoid. If a Christian rejects, quote, Christian, rejects the doctrine of the Trinity, that's heresy. Mm. So... This is this is only a there's only a handful of things in the Christian faith that fall in that category, right? They're the things that are written in blood. We've talked about that, and this is one Absolutely. of them. This is one of them. Yeah, and so we've got to lean in a Trinitarian Godhead. So just to be clear, Trevor, you are saying that we need to think very hard about the Trinity because it is one of those close-handed issues that distinguishes between biblical Christianity, Orthodox, traditional. Biblical Christianity and heresy and the occult and I mean spiritualism, mm-hmm. other other faith systems, mm-hmm. the aspect of the Trinity, the aspect of Jesus's divine nature and his human nature and the gospel, which is the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, that's the unique thumbprint of the Christian faith. Yeah. And you've got to get it. And if, if you're thinking to yourself right now, well, I'm not sure that I've got the right Jesus. There's so many Jesuses that are out there in the world, right? Floating around on the internet and just different sorts of Jesuses. There's homeboy Jesus. That's right. There's jump shot Jesus. Have you seen that one? (laughs) Yeah. We actually have a really famous t-shirt company in the state of South Carolina. They got real famous because they put a Jesus on a t-shirt shooting a jump shot in basketball. Jump shot Jesus. And uh, anyway, that would be an example. Yeah, we've just got to make sure. So many of us, we think of Jesus as a godly man or a manly God. And if you think that way, he's neither God nor man. Jesus is the God man. Mm. The idea that Jesus is just legendary or that he's an ethical moral teacher. We've talked about this in the past, but the the place to drill down is, is this Jesus that, that I'm serving, is he the Jesus that's consistently witnessed to and testified in the Old and New Testament? And that's what we're hoping that you get today. You know, we're out of time, Brad. Yeah. We've, we've had a good time with this one. Yeah. We're out of time for today, and we're just praying we'll that as you— pick it up next week, you know? We're praying as you develop in the dark that you are going to lean into the triune God. I mean, we're just excited to hear how you're developing. Yeah. So we'll see you next time on Develop in the Dark. God bless. Thanks for listening to Develop in the Dark. We hope that today's episode will help the light in you shine brighter than the light on you.